Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. So, uh, mm, thanks for thanks for bearing with all our, our technical fun things today. Uh, so, um, in this series that, that we're doing, uh, we've been learning what to what it what it means. I wanted to say specifically what it means to love selflessly. What it means to love from the third place. Um, so. <clears throat> During the last couple of weeks, I've asked you to do some things, some 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 church homework, if you would, spiritual homework. Um, so, uh, because loving from the third place doesn't come to us intuitively, it doesn't doesn't happen naturally. We naturally drift to the first place, as opposed to to making ourselves stay in the third place. So, I wanted us to, to keep track or check ourselves daily and to, to depend on the Holy Spirit and, and the Word of God. So, I asked each of you guys to to pray this, to pray. Father, teach me to embrace third place. Um, and, and it can become easier. Uh, you can shorten it. Uh, embrace third place. Embrace third place. Uh, and then I ask you to read Philippians 2, 5 through 8 um, each day. Uh, again, short. It's just a little section of verses that reminds us, you know, that, uh, that, that Jesus learned to take third place. And so should we. And so should we. So I'm going to confess to you, even though I've been praying this prayer and reading this, I'm still awful at doing this. Um, and it, it seems like if I get up in the more, at the beginning of the day, that in the middle of the day that I would remember this, um, I would do it. Um, and I, 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 so I have a hard time keeping myself in third place. Christ first, other second, myself third. Uh, I, I take over conversations. I don't listen. Um, I complain. Uh, I, I, I want to be the center of the and I, uh, even, even with it at the forefront of my mind, even with a, and it's so urgent and I'm praying, embrace third place. Um, I still don't do it. Uh, so, um, let's keep at it. Let's keep at that fight. So last week, last week we talked about how, when we embrace third place, um, we, we love in a different way. Um, we hold up ideals. We hold up ideals that we feel that that should happen in the world. And instead of complaining when they don't, we weigh down into the real. We, we hold up ideals and say, this is what should happen. And then we give our lives to making those things happen. So in our country, there should be a way for people to protest without doing anything illegal. Clearly, that doesn't happen on, on both sides. So if, if, if that bothers you, instead of complaining about it, weigh down into the real and do something about it. What would that look like? What would that mean? Well, if you give your life to do something about it, what would that look like? Um, and, and, that, and again, that's the question. Are you willing to give your life to see something different or you just want to post about it on social media or complain about it to your friends? That's what, that's what loving from the third place looks like. So last week, um, I, I asked the question, what ideal that's not being reached breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? And when you figure that out, it can give your life um, direction, uh, give you direction on what you should be doing. And then the second question I asked is this, second question I asked is this, is are you making someone else's life miserable because they can't live up to an ideal that you have? 
some dream of what you think they should be or some dream of how you think things should be. So Jesus obviously has incredibly high ideals for me and for you. And clearly I don't live up to them. But he doesn't make us miserable, shaming us because we can't meet his ideals. He gives his life to patiently come alongside me and teach me how to get closer to it. Um, Is that what you do? Is that what you do? So when Jesus was close to the end of his life, he says this. He says, now I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And this this command is in the book of John, um, which is at the beginning of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. And almost everything that's in the second half of the Bible, the rest of it is words explaining how to do this. It's breaking it out and saying, this is what I mean by that. And this is what it looks like. So a guy named Paul, he's a great church leader, started lots of churches. He, he teases this idea out the rest of the Bible almost. And so in a letter that Paul wrote to one of the churches he started in a place called Corinth, Paul wrote these words in an attempt to help people understand what Jesus meant when he said this. Because apparently they weren't understanding it. They weren't, they weren't getting it. And here's what Paul said. He said, love is patient. And this is a verse, obviously, many of you have heard before, maybe at a wedding. Um, Usually when you hear it, people go on past these three words, but I want it for us to stay right here, right here with these words. Maybe you want to run ahead, but that's not patient. So let me ask you to stay right here. And define what this means. Pastor Andy Stanley defines it this way. He says, patience is being willing to move at someone else's pace. Patience is being willing willing to move at someone else's pace. Uh, And this convicted me when I I heard this uh, this definition. Um, I don't want to move at your pace. I don't want to move at your pace. And if, if I come along and I have an ideal that I want you to move towards and you don't move at my pace, I get angry. I get upset. When you're on a two-lane highway and you come up behind somebody who's not going your pace, how long can you be behind that person before you get upset or antsy? Love is patient. And patience is a willingness to move at someone else's pace. So when Jesus was crucified, um, his followers were, were crushed. Um, they, they, it's, it's beyond crushed. You know, that's an understatement. Um, it, it wrecked them uh, like, 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 the, like the death of a close friend or a death of a child. It, it, it wrecked them. Um, and they're, they're trying to process this. Um, they, they, they watched Jesus die a slow, awful death. Um, it, it, it just totally rocked their world. So three days after the crucifixion, angels appear to some of Jesus's female um, followers, female disciples. And they, they, he's, they're telling him Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And when these women tell the guys, the guys don't believe him. And, I, you know, before you get angry about that, clearly we wouldn't have believed them either. We saw him die, an awful death. So somebody tells us that somebody's alive that we watched die. 
So they had clues, though. They had clues that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They just didn't believe it. They just didn't believe it. So after receiving the news from the women, Jesus had risen from the dead. Two of Jesus' disciples um, who are, so let me be clear, two of Jesus' disciples who are not, not two of the twelve the 12, the 12, 12 of his closest disciples, two, two other disciples who followed Jesus, they're leaving Jerusalem to go to this place called Emmaus, which is like seven years, seven years, seven miles away. So they're on the way to this place and they're crushed. And this similar to, like, if you've ever been to a, through a traumatic event with some other people, you want to get together and you want to process, process this thing. Think it through. And so as they're walking, they're, they're, they're processing. Jesus' death was a surprise to them. So these guys start on their walk and they're, they're and then trying to process the traumatic events that, that, that have gone on, that Jesus' death they witnessed together. And shortly into their walk, Jesus catches up to them. And he walks right up next to them in his resurrected body, but they don't recognize him. Uh, a man named Luke, who's a doctor and a historian, he writes this. He says, they were kept from recognizing them. And I used, to, I used to think that what this meant was Jesus like put a spell on them so that they wouldn't recognize them. Um, I, I don't, I, that doesn't make sense in context of, of the story. I think it makes more sense that they didn't recognize him because they didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. In their hearts, they did not believe it was possible. Ideally, what would have happened is this. Jesus, they're walking along. Jesus walks up next to them and they would have been like, ah, it's you. It's you, Jesus. That doesn't happen. I should say this. I should say this. And people have questions about this. I should say this. I think that Jesus' resurrected body looks somewhat different from his body that he had on earth. And I think that's part of why they don't recognize him. It's a perfected body. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, I'll give you an analogy, and it's not perfect, but I, I, maybe it'll help us understand this. So if you've ever known someone who's overweight, who ends up losing that weight, maybe like 150 pounds or more, when, when people who haven't seen that person in a long time see that person again, sometimes they don't recognize that person Jesus' resurrected body is a perfect body. Um, it, 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 it's like the body that all, we'll all get one day. So clearly, if we have a body here that, where, where you can't walk or you can't see, your resurrected body will not be like that. So is it that hard to imagine that something in our resurrected bodies is not going to be exactly the same as what our physical bodies look like? Still recognizable to anyone who wants to know, though. Anyone who wants to know. So Jesus has been raised from the dead. Um, and it's the ultimate in your face to everybody who, who uh, doubted him, who tried to kill him. And, and he's got good news to spread. He's got work to do. He's a busy guy. And he's walking along. And these guys, he comes alongside them. And what does he do? He slows down to their pace. He slows down to their pace. The, these disciples are discussing Jesus' death, and Jesus walks up alongside them. And, and, and I, wonder, I wonder if Jesus was wanting them to say, it's you, Jesus. 
I wonder if he gave them a little couple a couple minutes to, to be to you know to look out of the corner of their eye and be like, who's this guy? If he gave him a chance to say, oh, I get it. They don't say that. So Jesus asked him, hey, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? When he says that, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And we just had to pause and just, 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 just for a second and just say this. Imagine your last three days being Jesus Christ, being through what you've been through and having someone say this to you. I, I, okay. Uh, what things, he asked. Isn't that, this is, this, is, this is comical. Jesus says, what things? What do you mean? Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in the word and deed before God and all the people. So pause, pause, pause and think about this. Notice they're walking. Jesus asked them a question and then they stop. And what does Jesus do? He stops too. He's like, I'll stop with you. I'll stop right here with you. And notice that he doesn't say, okay, guys, come on. I'm Jesus. Let's get it together. We've got work to do. He doesn't say that at all. Instead, he listens to these guys explain to him who Jesus is. And they're getting it wrong. They're like, this guy, Jesus, he was a prophet. He's like, you guys know I'm not just a, you know who I am. And he's patient. Jesus is patient with them, going their pace, not his. Jesus wants to bring them along. And the disciples tell Jesus about the crucifixion, how these women, um, they, they've, they've told, they, they've seen an empty tomb, but we haven't seen the body and we don't know what's going on. And why does Jesus have to die? And Jesus responds to their explanation like this. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? I'm like, dude, I just met you. Don't be talking to me like that, right? Strong words. I'm not sure I want to hear anybody say these words to me, let alone Jesus. Jesus has these strong words of discipline for them because he doesn't give up on them. He doesn't say, you don't, he doesn't say, you don't get it, I'm moving on. He says, you don't get it. And the Messiah has had to go through all these things. And then Jesus spends the next 6.5 miles explaining to them, starting from the beginning, the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, all the way through up to this moment right then, he, he explains to them, this is what had to happen to the Messiah. Do you guys see it? Here's Moses. Here's David. This is how it was supposed to happen. And I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to go your pace so you can get it. This is the stuff that was supposed to happen. 
after seven miles of walking, they still don't completely get it. And Jesus is about to keep on going past the village and the disciples are going to, you know, the, the disciples are going to stay at and, and, and the disciples beg him to stay. They beg him to stay, stop and stay with this Jesus. So Jesus is about to move on. He's got, he's got places to go. He's got people to see. And he says, hey, would you stop and stay with us? And what does Jesus do? Finally, when he was at the table with them, Jesus was at the table with them. He took the bread, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. So, uh, listen. All of us are at different levels of maturity in regards to our relationship with, uh, with Jesus and in regards to our spiritual maturity. Um, it, it, is, it is, that it's just how it is. And if I am further along than you in a specific area. I typically don't have much patience for that. I expect you to speed up and catch up to me right away. And if you're ahead of me in some area, I want you to be patient with me, though. I want you to give me that courtesy. So I have an ideal in my mind about following Jesus or about race or about politics or, or about life. And I think that you should be where I'm at immediately. I share with you some idea and then you should be like, oh, heck yeah, Daryl, wherever you say. And I'm right there with you. Parents. We do this to our kids, right? You want your kids to be... Boom. I want my kids, I want my kids to hear me say something and be like, oh, father, thank you for sharing that spiritual truth with us. We want to be, wow, we're right where you're at now. I want them to be in lockstep with me. And I am not willing to slow down so that I can pass on what they what I want them to learn at their pace. I have to have it at mine. And for those of us who are dads in the room, we're, we, we can be like the worst. We have some ideal we want our kids to be at and, or we want, them to, we want to teach them something and if they're not learning it like this, we get irritated, get frustrated. Patience. Patience means we are willing to go someone else's pace. It means I'm willing to slow down enough so that I can pass on what I know about Jesus and you can slow down for me and pass on what you know about Jesus. I go your pace, not mine. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, especially parents, especially dads, you can break your children because your unwillingness to be patient. Love chooses to move at another person's pace and rather than require them to move at ours. And this is, this is certainly, just, just like the story said, this is certainly what Jesus has done for me. Jesus, Jesus will call me, calls me up to this super high ideal and I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. He has this, this incredible high ideal of, of loving, loving, uh, loving my enemies, doing good to those who hate me, blessing those who curse me, um, praying for those who mistreat me. Uh, the, if someone slaps me in the face, I turn to them the other cheek. You know, those of you guys who know me close, you know I don't do that. You know, you know I got complaints about the people who hate me and don't like me and who curse. You know. 
That's, and that's the truth. I'm just not there yet. Clearly, that's where Christ is at. And he comes, he comes alongside me. He says, hey, Daryl, this is the ideal. But he doesn't give up on me. He moves at my pace. Intent on getting me there. He moves at my pace. And somewhere between where the ideal is and where I am at, he moves me closer. He moves me closer to the ideal. Love is patient. And God, God knows that the difference between the ideal and where I am at right now is God slow down for us, so we must slow down for others. Friends slow down, you know, friends slow down for your friends, followers slow down for your children, slow down for your coworkers, slow down for your enemies um, who, 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 just, who just don't get it. Slow the heck down, slow down. And one of the problems that we have, we have these great ideals is that we refuse to slow down. We want it now. We want it now. And here's the thing. What happens when you insist on your own pace? And the people around you can't catch up. You separate yourself from those people. Right? You separate yourself from those people. And they may never reach the ideal that you want because you won't, you won't bother to slow down and help them. One last thing. One last thing. So I, I've shared this with you, some of you guys before, so be patient. Uh, <laughs> it's relevant today. So a couple years ago, my family and I went to a place called Hanging Lake in Colorado. And um, in order to get to Hanging Lake, you had to take a bus to get there. And then they would drop you off at this trail, and then you had this 1.2-mile hike to Hanging Lake, which sounds like, oh, it's not too bad, right? But it's all uphill. So you, you just imagine like a staircase that's steep for 1.2 miles. Um, and, it, and it wasn't just straight up. You know, you had some winding. But you do, yeah. So we, we, um, we're, we're on the bus. And we're about to get off. And the bus driver announces, hey, um, I'm going to get up you guys off. You guys have a seat reserved for when I come back three hours from now. And I'm like, three hours from now, we're going to be long. We're going to be sitting waiting for you to get back. Right. So we, uh, we start climbing this 1.2 mile hike and it's hot and I'm pushing our little family. Okay, guys, come on, keep going. And about like, whatever. 20% in, I'm, I'm exhausted, but I'm pretending I'm not. And, and my son, my son, who's, you know, he's young, he's young, so he's pushing us now. He's, he's kind of the front leader, pushing us going. Um, and, and again, I, in guy world, you know, you, you don't want to admit that you're, you're exhausted. So, you know, as soon as he's ready to go, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. He, he takes over pushing us. And my daughter, Silver, starts to say she needs to stop. 
And so we just stop, you know, for a few minutes. We stop for a few minutes and then we'd be like, okay, let's get going. Let's get going. Come on. We got to get up there three hours. And then my daughter Silver starts to say, I don't think I'm feeling too good. And we're like, come on, you know. And so we would, I mean, we're not heartless. We would stop and we would say, okay, let's go. We gave you a chance to stop. Let's get it going. Let's get it going. And so Silver keeps having to stop over and over and over again. Silver gave me permission to, to share the story with you. She keeps having to stop over and over and over again. And all of us, you know, I, when she stops in my mind, I'm like, thank God. But my son, you know, he's like, Argh! and so I'm, I'm, I'm keeping up with him. I'm like, yeah, let's go. He's like, let's go. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. And so we get probably like 80% there and silver starts to throw up everywhere. Everywhere. And at that point, we're like, oh, you mean you need to stop? <laughs> oh, 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 okay. I get it. Here it is. When we're on that hike up the hanging lake, if we all want to get there together, who gets to set the pace? If we're all going together, silver sets the pace even if it takes us all stinking night silver sets the pace because although i mean we could have said okay yeah we forget it we're gonna keep going and she might have went back or she might have stayed there she was like i can't make it with it. but if we want to do it together we let the slowest person set the pace and then we don't make them feel bad because they're the slowest we say we want to do this together What if, what if I could do that in regards to my high ideals about whatever in my life? Your high ideals that, that, that all of us think what we're so self-righteous about. What if I was willing to be patient enough to come along to, just to say, hey, can I share this with you? And if they are unwilling to come along with me, I am patient, willing to go their pace. Not mine patience is being willing to move at someone else's pace instead of insisting that they go ours and that's that is what it looks like to love from the third place so i'm trying to come up with ways to uh, to remember that i'm in third place keep that idea of Christ first, other second, me third. So I got these pens and you probably can't see from here, but uh, they're super cool pens that just say third on it. It's like a little ribbon. It's a third. And uh, I love it. I love it. So we have them here, obviously in person. Um, uh, the middle table on your way out if you want to get one of those. Um, if you are not here and you like one, email me. Let me know. You can swing by and pick one up. We can make it happen. But know this. Know this. 
When you're taking one of those pins, what you're saying is, I want to embrace third place. I'm giving up my first place seat so that Christ can sit in it and uh, he can make it possible for me to embrace third place. Giving my life to others so they can see Christ, they can reach Christ's ideals for all of us. Be patient. Go at someone else's pace this week. Pray with me as we close today. Father, um, thanks for uh, thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, even though we had all these technical difficulties, we know that you are with us. We are confident of that. And we know that what, no matter what trials come, you will always be with us. I pray, I pray that you would help us to be patient, be willing, just just like what you did with those those, those two cats on the way to on the way to Emmaus. Help us to be willing to go someone else's pace, in hopes that they can become more like you. And the ironic thing is that when we do that, we'll be the ones who end up becoming like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Thank you.